0: Hello, 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 everyone, and welcome to The Argument. I am your host, Dr. Samino Porche-Bond, and I am back in 2021 with the first full season of the show. This year, you can look forward to hearing from some amazing guests, beginning today with Mr. Eugene Brooks. If you don't know, Eugene is the Regional Director of Brand Partnerships and Live Events for Intercom Communications in Atlanta. He is a media and marketing influencer in the sports and entertainment industry with over 15 years of experience. He has produced events worldwide, working with the likes of Kendrick Lamar, Tom Joyner, and Earth, Wind & Fire, just to name a few. He's a member of the National Academy of Recording Arts and Sciences, the Grammy Awards, and last but not least, the University of South Carolina Alumni Association. Eugene, along with Melvin Roan, Recording artists Will Downing and Mike Phillips is a founding member of We Are One, which is an organization with the primary goal of uplifting each other by creating experiences between artists and fans to ensure no one falls behind. Currently, Eugene also donates his time by serving on the board of the Metro Atlanta YMCA, Jane's Ladder, and the Boys and Girls Club. Welcome, Eugene.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So, Eugene. I invited you here to be my guest for a few reasons. But the very first one is so that we could all hear about your experience living in the household and growing up with your father, Mr. Allie E. Brooks Jr., who is a phenomenal educator and was just last month featured in the 2021 South Carolina African American History Calendar. Now, myself, as well as many others that are listening to this show, have definitely been influenced by Mr. Brooks at the Wilson High School in Florence, South Carolina, but I imagine it's very different, or maybe not. That's what you're here to tell us. What was it like growing up in the household with Mr. Brooks?
1: Well, I'm very thankful that I had, that God gave me him as a father, Mm -hmm. Um, but but it was very challenging. I mean, he challenged me to be the best that I was every single day. Don't take no for an answer. If there's a no, then find out why. Sometimes when he told me no, now I can not say, well, why? Well, that's what you taught me. (laughs) Um, So I I couldn't, you know, but my, you know, so I got it early on to be successful. The things that he put me in as far as basketball, baseball, football, music, you know, being in music, played saxophone. So was he strict? I wouldn't say strict. He was disciplined. I mean, disciplined. I mean, you, you know, had a curfew. You know, it was a problem dating girls in school, in, in high school, because people didn't want to call the house because they were calling the principal's house. You know, so it was very hard. But you know,
0: I did have a principal at home, but we kind of had the same situation going.
1: <laughs> right. So it was so it was hard, but you know what? I mean, it, it, but I, I've been around that all my life. I mean, my mm-hmm. when I when I grew up, my grandfather Reverend Edie was the first black police officer in Florence. Right you know, my uncle, you know, we have two funeral homes, people's funeral homes. So, I mean, I was around people like that from the early on. And so, so I had no choice. And so when I made mistakes, you know, yeah, I got in trouble. Yeah, I get a beating. But, you know, I also realized that it wasn't because they didn't love me. It's because they didn't want me to make those, make those mistakes. And, you know, them coming from the 60s, you know, it was impressed upon you that you had you had to be successful. Mm-hmm. You know, Absolutely. you had to be successful. You had to do well. You had to do right, and that that village was there. So if somebody, right. you know, if I got in trouble at South Side or South Florence, you know, you believe you me, some way, form, or fashion, <laughs> my dad, my dad caught wind of it from Absolutely. the church. From the church, you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. So it was all around us. So it was it was a lot of fun. We did, we traveled a lot, which I'm thankful for, which allowed me to broaden my horizons and broaden my boundaries to know that there is more than just where you're from right. but al- but also you take where you're from with you
0: correct
1: so that w- that gives you your foundation so it right. was a lot of fun it was a lot of fun
0: so speaking of that taking mm-hmm. those things with you how important do you believe
1: mm-hmm.
0: it was for you to have such strong you know such such a strong relationship and such a strong community to support you into mm-hmm. getting where you are now professionally, how how do you think that's impacted your success?
1: Oh, it, it's impacted tremendously. I think because you have to have a great foundation to maneuver outside of where you are, where you're mm-hmm. from. You know, you learn how to speak to people, shake hands, or say hello, or or for the better part of it is just how to treat people in general, you know, coming from Florence, you know, yeah, the world is big out there. So when you get out there, you're like, um, okay. So what should <laughs> I do here? Right. But I think the thing about it is that my family was huge because I have family, you know, and I had family in Georgia all over the country. And so mm-hmm. I think that allowed me to give me some, a leg up a little bit because mm-hmm. I had the support for people who say, okay, we want you to see you succeed. So here's what you need to do. So, I think the basis of knowing that all you have is your name. At the right. end of the day, all you have is your name. So, um, wanting to have a good name and and people just you know being taught from the intelligent people and the intellectuals to educated people, but how to carry yourself mm-hmm. that has brought me to this point of like you know to this day. I mean, when I go home and visit at home to my parents, I still feel like I got a curfew.
0: Right. So, <laughs>
1: Same so I, here. So I don't I don't play that. So right. but but being around. But being around the people here, and, and as I as I graduated and went through school, you never know who's watching you. Right. So you always have to be careful of that. So you want to get your name in the paper, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. So, right. so it's been so it's been good.
0: So you talk about how important that support <coughs> and that that community of of support and help mm-hmm. has been, and how it's impacted <coughs> where you are now. Mm-hmm. So my question to you is: Think about society currently. Okay. And think about how we have in school so many young men and women, right? Who don't have that support. How do you feel about that? Thinking about the level of support you had and the level of success you've been you've been able to obtain mm-hmm. uh, because you had that support. And then right. the, the the children that don't have that support. It's a different day and time. How do you feel about that?
1: You know what's funny is like you know as you say that I remember my dad. There were some students that did not necessarily have the same kinds of support mm-hmm. there, too. Right. So I think I watched him and how he maneuvered that, whether it's getting to know the student mm-hmm. to find out what their needs are mm-hmm. and being an advocate for them when no one else was there. Correct. So I think by me watching how he maneuvered the parental situations that he had to deal with from mm-hmm. students, was that gave me the opportunity to say, okay, or the finesse to say, okay, all right, let me go to this child who maybe not talking about and trying to find something that the child or a child would want to talk about. Mm-hmm. So When I go into schools now or speak in schools now, it's pretty much kind of an easy topic when they talk about entertainment and sports, you know, because that's what a lot of people do. But That's the easy stuff. That's the easy stuff. But the hard part is saying, okay, when you ask the child or what do you want to do and and they are trying to figure out out how to do it and then they don't have the support at home. So my thing is saying, you know what, Well, how can I be an advocate for this child, even though I don't know the child, Mm -hmm. but what can I do is it? Drop an email here, or check with the guidance counselor and see how they're doing. Mm-hmm. So trying to really maneuver that. I mean, in some cases, I try to talk to the parents, but that's not always a good thing mm-hmm. um, because then it's, they're thinking that you're trying to replace them, which really is not mm-hmm. the case. Right. Or they try to say, "Look at you from a monetary standpoint of view," and that's not mm-hmm. it. So I think it's just trying to find those opportunities that I'm able to finesse with the student and, and offering the pla- the background that I have and the mm-hmm. platform I have to start those conversations, to get them joined. Like for instance, like at the Boys Club, we just com- completed renovating or building a music studio nice. at the Boys and Girls Club. And right. so, and one of my friends and I you know, got together and he wanted to do something and I wanted to do something. And so we put things together and that's what we made it happen. So the thing about it was it was an opportunity to try to, to break that shell from that, from a child to get them to open up, you right. know? So it kind of really, I watched my dad, how he, how he finessed, he finessed that with the students from mm-hmm. PTA to when y'all used to have, um, you know, and South Carolina State Band would come on Thursdays, stuff like that. So, you know, all those, those, Teen the, commu- the, the Teen Institute, yeah. all those things like that to kind of break it down to so where the student feels like a part of it. And I think that's what, that's what helps. So I kind of really got that a lot from, from my parents from that.
0: So one of the things you mentioned, and this, and this is a hard topic for people, and okay. it's um, it's it's part of the reason why I've started the nonprofit We Work for Children. I've been an educator for over 25 years now. And, wow. and I've seen it, thank you, I've seen it from virtually every perspective, which is kind of unique, from state leadership to the classroom, to district mm-hmm. leadership, to even private industry mm-hmm. um, and their views. And whenever you bring up the topic of the children's families, and hmm. how some may think you're trying to replace them, and those kinds hmm. of things, from my perspective what what i've learned from my mm-hmm. experience has been that you can't fully help the whole child not not to the maximum potential unless you gain the trust of the families
1: hmm.
0: and and I say that because you can have good hopes and dreams. You can mean well, and you could be just doing this. This is a passion that God placed on your heart. Mm -hmm. But you're right. Some parents are going to perceive you as someone trying to take over their household. Mm -hmm. So how would you believe, how could you get past that barrier? Because here's the thing. I can be in a classroom and in my classrooms in math, I would try to teach kids more than just math. I would teach them about relationships. My Mm. mutual respect for them, I call yes, sir, yes, ma'am to them, as well as them repeating the same to me. I say, excuse me. I say, please. I say, thank you. I give them the benefit of the doubt. And in return, I'm able to build those relationships. But although I can build those relationships in school and those students fully trust me, what mm-hmm. I've found is if you don't spend time reaching out to the family and helping them understand how you're trying to help the student, those students have to go right back to their community, their neighborhood, their families. And those things sometimes have more in a lot of times have more influence on them than you do, because their reality, <clears throat> and your reality are two different realities. Right. So how do we work on that? Because. I don't feel like just because some parents are going to think that you're trying to take over, I don't think that we should not try to gain their trust. I believe that if we are able to gain a trust of families, mm-hmm. then we can help families and children to their maximum potential.
1: I, I mean, I totally agree. I think the thing is that it's very hard because there are some people that you're not going to gain. That's true. It's just, it's just simple. It's the way it is. I think what you have to do is it's almost like you look at it. Like when you go fishing, there's a whole bunch of fish in the lake, right? Mm-hmm. But you're only going to get, if the fish bite that day, you may get about five or six, seven, eight. If they don't bite that day, you don't get any, but you know what? The bottom line is you keep going back fishing.
0: Correct. You
1: don't stop mm-hmm. because even if it's that one fish that you get, you know, you're still able to feed yourself with that one fish. Correct. And so the way I look at it is, is that even though you, to gain that trust, I mean, the first thing you do is try to, you know, meet with the parents and mm-hmm. the child at the same exact time Correct. and say, okay, here's, you know, what I would like to do from a situation that I believe in your child and I believe that your child can do this, mm-hmm. you know, how can we work to obtain so this child is successful? Right. And then at, once you ask that question, and then maybe, and also too, what I learned is that always ask the parent, "What is your your dreams of mm-hmm. your child?" Exactly. Ask that question, and then that at that point, then you'll go, "Okay, well, maybe I can help this child." But then you also be willing to say, "You know what? I may not be able to help that child because the parents are in a place right. to do that." So I think the thing about it is, is that if you're in this one area community and you're helping this these parents and the children mm-hmm. is that maybe if you can't get to child A mm-hmm. and and child A is, is not really interested or the parent's not interested, maybe when you get to B and C... Mm-hmm then child A will look at how you're benefiting B and C. And then child A or parent child A will come back around and say, hey, okay, I see what you're doing. And then by that time, you may decide, okay, well, I'm not sure if your attitude is right or you're in the right place for Mm -hmm. it. But, you know, let me work on these B, C, and D first because they they jumped on it and then I'll come back to you. So it's funny you say that. It's like I don't understand why some parents are not wanting their children to be successful. It's almost like they're scared for their children to be better than they are.
0: Well, okay, so I'll say that (laughs) some parents—that's their reason, and I I can I can testify to that. Right. But I think also part of it is they're scared. Mm -hmm. Whenever you and and I'm not just this is not just for African Americans. Don't get it Mm -hmm. twisted. Oh, correct. There are children and families of all races that that need that that need Mm -hmm. that assistance. So Mm -hmm. the thing is, though, for me anyway, Mm -hmm. back in the day, you know, when I was in Florence, South Carolina and I'm teaching, Mm -hmm. it was nothing for a kid to need a ride back home and me say, okay, I'll take. Let me call your mom. Let me call your dad. Oh, I Mm -hmm. can drop you off. I can Mm -hmm. pick you up. You know, or the parents even they need to come to a PTA meeting, but it's in the evening and they don't have access to a ride in the evening. I pick the parent and the child up and bring right. them to the meeting. But right, right now, it, it, it's like it's prohibitive because of all mm-hmm. that's happened. And mm-hmm. quite frankly, January sixth just Ugh. uh rips everything a new one, basically. And so Correct. people are so untrustworthy. I mean, mm-hmm. myself. I mm-hmm. used to let my son, who's 14, almost 15 years old, mm-hmm. I let him walk down the road, go to the Amish market. You know, there's a little CVS over there in a gas station or whatever. And I had no problem with it because I have to let go sometime a little bit, right. you know, right. a little bit at right. a time. A, l- a little, little bit, bit at a time. Right. Right. So I would do that. And then January 6 happened. And yep. it I mean, as an African-American woman, I already know what society is for me. I already know what the likely struggles I'm going to have. And Mm -hmm. one of my professors said it best when I I went to call him on the fact that my friend and I were in the doctorate program and I had to drive from Florence to University of South Carolina and he wanted his homework under his door. No email, no nothing. Slide it under his door by 7 a.m. on Saturday morning. And of course, I'm working full time. Well, she would have the same answers that I had. I know because we worked through the programs, did the coding and all mm-hmm. of this together. And <coughs> so I knew that our answers were the same. And every week I would get a paper with a whole bunch of red marks on it and I'd look at her paper and there were no None. red marks, just like a smiley face and a check mark. <laughs> yeah. And so I went to call him on it. And he, he's Vietnamese. Hmm. And I went in, I scheduled the meeting, and I said, I don't understand. I feel like you're treating me unfairly, this, that, and the other. And he waited for me to finish. And he said, you have to be better. When I (laughs) came here, I had to be better.
1: Hmm.
0: And then he walked into his little inner office and closed the door and left me out there. (laughs) Hmm. And was I irritated? Yes. But then I realized that he had gone through the similar struggles, and he understood the struggles that I would go through. As right. a professional, and right. so he didn't do it for my harm, he did it for my good <laughs> so i don't i'm not i don't let my son anymore walk to the store. January sixth just flipped it upside down because you don't know. Who's but it was, who? You right, don't know who to trust anymore, That's right? correct. That's so then correct. that translates into all this social em- emotional learning that we're talking about, the fact that kids aren't in school, but there's corona. How do you protect yourself, but then also <coughs> protect those kids who use schools as a safe haven? How do you mm-hmm. provide assistance for families when they're in a place where they don't trust anybody at this point? And here you are saying you're offering this assistance for free. And they're like, wait, you're gonna help me do XYZ and you're not getting any money out of it. You you're doing this and you're just doing it for free. It seems unrealistic in these days and times. So even going in and you keep going, you keep going. Prior to January 6th, I could see far more help being given through my my foundation and other foundations like yours that are trying to help kids. Right, right mm-hmm. now, how do we overcome January 6 in our in our trying to help children and their families, there was already the barrier. We already talked about that. There are already the mistrust. We already talked about right. that. But how do we now move forward and still keep pushing and pushing and pushing and make sure we get these families and children help? How do we do that?
1: I honestly think you still do the same thing. We, we know what happened on January 6th, right? Mm-hmm. But we can't allow that to define our being. But people do. But they, but they have, I mean, but they have have defined, I mean, I mean, I have, I mean, I, 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 you you know, but you know what, if it defines and yes, you do take a step back and say, okay, let's see what's going on here. Mm -hmm. But I still do believe that you, you still have to go through the process of helping people yet in a, in a more guarded manner. Mm -hmm. And you have to intelligently and eloquently point out what your objectives are. Correct. And, and unfortunately some people may say yeah I want to do it some people say I don't want to do it but you get but guess what you still keep fishing
0: and i, I and I, I definitely appreciate that point because I think you're right once you are able to help those that are receptive to it right. perhaps those that who weren't who weren't receptive to it now see that that you really do mean well that you really are trying to help not just their kid you're not just trying to quote unquote, get their kid out of a community or out of situation, but you're trying to help the whole family. Where is it that y'all want to go? What is right. it that you need? Let's reach out and find some resources to help you get where you need to be and to be helpful to you. Let's provide these trainings for you on financial literacy and yep. you yep. know educating your child and getting scholarships and Let's set up a system where we show you every scholarship that we can find that's available, even at early ages. Because those thousand dollar scholarships, five hundred dollar scholarships, before you become a senior in wow. high school, they add up. They make a difference.
1: And I think it's what's funny is that you know it is challenging because you're gonna have some people that are just like I am not doing nothing. I don't want to do nothing. I'm gonna stay in the <laughs> system. I'm gonna mm-hmm. stay the way my mama did this, my daddy right. did this, and I'm gonna say that. And I think. For me, that's very frustrating Mm -hmm. because people don't want to change their mindset. And granted, I do know that people say, well, you came from, you know, your mom and dad did this and your uncle was this. Yeah, okay, that's cool. Mm -hmm. But I also know what my parents and my family did for other people. And so by me watching that, I have a greater appreciation of how to want to help people and to wanna to finesse it and to say, okay, look, I'm just here to help you. And if you look at me differently, that's fine, but guess what? I'll go to somebody else. And you have right. to be, with, but you know what? You have to develop the sense of you can't help everybody, mm-hmm. even you want to, and you walk away from it. Right. One of my um, colleagues, Derek Brooks, Hall of Famer, played for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Mm-hmm. He, so have, he's really
0: happy today, right?
1: Yeah, he's really happy. He he's extremely happy. Right. We we were we were having a discussion today. I mean discussion some months ago. And Derek Brooks is uh he's done so well for he graduated from Florida State. He played at linebacker at Tampa Bay and he mm-hmm. created this charter school that he has in Tampa. He's taking kids to South Africa. Nice. And, and I remember him saying, we were having this exact same discussion. And he was saying that when he went to the east side of Tampa. To try to take some kids to South Africa, that he set up this program and he took about, I think it's 15, 20 kids to South Africa and trying to get people to trust him to do it, to show them that they don't, they're not coming back for any money, they're not coming back for this. He wants to do this. And he was saying, it was like, I'm trying to take people to South Africa. He's like, I'm trying to get them to explore, you know, expand their boundaries. And he was saying, you know what? you focus on the kids that will help, that you can help. You can't focus on the kids that you can't help or the parents that don't want to be helped because that will get you down. Right. So you always maintain on working on the kids that want to be helped and the families that want to. And that has always stuck out with me even beyond before him. But even now, I think it's the, that is what you have to focus on. You have to focus on the kids that want genuinely want to be helped mm-hmm. and the parents that genuinely want their kids to be helped. Um, right. Because, again, you went back, they're scared. They don't want to. Right. They want to stay in the system the way it is.
0: Exactly, because that's what they know.
1: Because that's what they know. Is that, but you got to be willing to step outside of that.
0: Right. And, and I'll say this, some of it is to their credit, because I use the example with my son all the time and tell him, mm-hmm. you know, when I was growing up, my mother told me that I shouldn't accept any grants because even though they tell me that I don't have to pay back a grant, I actually do. Now, she didn't tell me that because she thought I would get money and she didn't want me to have it. She really believed that because that's what she was taught. But now I'm telling my son he has an advantage because now I've been in education for so long. And so I can give him a heads up about certain things. I can mm-hmm. let him know how he needs to handle himself, what he mm-hmm. needs to get, regardless of what the school requires, mm-hmm. what he needs to move forward and these kinds of things. So now I can help him a bit more. I think some of it is also that the, the, resi- you know, the resistance to receive the help. And then there's that, I, I think part of it is cultural for, for for African Americans, at least where mm-hmm. we come from this place where we want to do for ourselves. Right. We want to do it ourselves. And we're not open to allowing others to help us.
1: <clears throat> you, you, you're exactly, and that's the thing. I think that we, we we do have to find this balance of how do we ask the questions. Mm-hmm. And this, and and I think you have to show that you want to be helped. I think in so many cases, you know, people we have to we have to open ourselves up mm-hmm. to say, hey, how can I get this? I think once people. Find out that you really want to succeed, mm-hmm. then they will open up the doors for you, and they show that. You, but you have to do your part first. Right. And I think that's the problem. I think we have this sense of entitlement. Some people have a sense of entitlement, right. and they feel like, "Oh, I'm owed this." Mm-hmm. No, Maybe you're not owed. It. You're not owed anything. It's like, you know, you have to work for it. But right. you also have, you have to show that you want to be able to handle it once you get it. Right, And I think that's the thing. Like, I mean, back in when I grew up, I mean, people had this assumption that we had all this money and <laughs> we did all this stuff and blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah. And it's like, no, my parents worked just as hard, had to work hard as well. Yes. But but also...
0: And your mom had to work doubly hard because mom, she yeah. did what she did. And she supported that family with everything. Exactly. I saw her everywhere all the yeah. time.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, she was... So th- here's the funny part. Not only did my parents have their own family mm-hmm. but they also had countless other families oh, yeah. that for the school system I mean I can I can tell you the times that people called my house day in and day out and needed help for this needed help for that wow. and I mean my, my you know children coming and saying that knocking on the door neighborhood knocking on the door I mean it's funny like my dad like my dad every Saturday my dad would feed the neighborhood. Like all the neighborhood kids, we, you know, we, you know, we play at my house, we play football, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever, basketball. But there would not be a Saturday that the kids, we would be playing. And my dad, if I ate a bologna sandwich, (laughs) everybody, all the kids ate bologna sandwiches and chips and all of that. And I think, Mm -hmm. you know, the funny thing about that's why people don't understand why that bologna sandwich that he does at homecoming Mm -hmm. why that's so important because that's what we did. You know what I mean? mean? That's one of the threads of the community. And so I think, you know, so I, so I I know about people needing help in the community, but also mm-hmm. I know about people who who you know. We also culturally we we crabs in a bucket. I right. just hate to say it. That I mean, way. I hate
0: to say it too.
1: But yeah. <clears throat> we are we are. We don't. We think that we somebody don't want to outdo each other. But my thing is, come on, man! Like somebody helped you to get there, so we right. trying to help somebody else get there. And I think right. unfortunately, and here's the other part: when you look at growing up and you look how how Florence was. Kind of, it was racially moved mm. away. It was <laughs> so you look at how racially how it was split, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he, so here you got a high school that has the the IB program, okay, yeah, and yeah. Had the IB program, and you had all these other kids who were of not ethnic who are not African American mm-hmm. and he had to help every child regardless of race color yep. or creed.
0: Yep. And he did. I mean, I can tell you that yes, Mr. Brooks was about his business. He was about making sure that that school ran without a hitch if at all Riff. possible, but he Riff. always loved on and cared for the students. So, while he, you know, was an administrator with a hard hand, so to speak, and demanded respect, no one was ever afraid of him.
1: Right. You know, right. it was, right.
0: everybody knew it was in love. That just came <clears throat> out of there in, in so many situations. That's not what comes
1: out. And that, right. And, uh, right. I mean, and so you try to figure out, well, where is, where where is that teacher? Right. Or that, And and unfortunately there are. Teachers who are like that, right? Not oh, now, absolutely. They are, but they, but you never hear about them. you I always think a few hear of about.
0: Stop listening to my show because I said, yeah, they're t- racist teachers. Oh, I <laughs> yeah, mean, come I on mean now. this is the real. Like, you know, when I started, yeah. I said, hey, this is about having real conversations. This ain't this yeah. ain't a script, <clears> this show. This no. is let's have real conversations because we want real change. And if you you know fail to speak about things, then right. people think that oh well they just go away. They don't. They fester and they right. get worse.
1: And then I think we don't have and then but again, then we don't have enough of p- parental guidance at home right. to come and say, "Hey, okay, what's going on with my child?" I mean mm-hmm. you think of, you mean you think about it I mean there's a lot of parents who are having to work double jobs and right. and trying to do homework for the kids, mm-hmm. and then they so there's this this gap that keeps widening well, well, and um, I thought
0: education, I thought educators were supposed to be in a place to lessen those gaps, but it seems to me that education schools have gotten <coughs> to a place where they start just labeling kids as at risk. Right. They start just right. saying, well, they're from a poor family or their parents don't want to be here. And let me tell you something. I used to work at snee Middle School. I went to Williams Middle School and I hated it. Those were the worst <laughs> two years of my life because I wasn't enough to be accepted in the black groups mm-hmm. and I wasn't white so I couldn't be accepted in th- <coughs> Groups and oh, that's another it, it, argument it was in itself. Horrible! It was horrible. I was treated so badly by so many people, mm-hmm. and it was because I liked loafers and button-down shirts, or you know, mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I say that to say I never knew anything about Northwest Elementary School, mm-hmm. and I never really understood that that was a pipeline to Williams. And then Williams was a pipeline to Wilson because Mm -hmm. Wilson was actually really diverse Mm -hmm. compared to, you know, Williams and Southside at the time. Right. But whenever I was working on my Ph.D., I was like, okay, elementary school gets out earlier. So I'm going to transfer because this is just too much. So I transferred over to North Vista and Miss Sharon Dixon, Hmm. who is a phenomenal administrator in her own Hmm. right. Mm-hmm. she She hired me to come over there, and I came over there, but guess what I'm African American, but I came over there with some hangups and some assumptions mm-hmm. about the population that was there mm-hmm. and what I found was all those assumptions were wrong
1: wrong mm-hmm. and
0: And I got there and I realized that some of my students in third and fourth grade their parents didn't come to the PTA meetings because the PTA meetings were at 7 p.m. They're working right. their second job or whatever. Right. So mm-hmm. the system wasn't really set up to encourage those parents who mm-hmm. have multiple jobs or are trying to raise several kids and all this stuff. It's not really set up for, to invite them to those events. So let me tell you what Ms. Dixon did. She set up PTA meetings during the day. Right. At a time when parents were able to come you know, get on their lunch break and come through and meet with the teachers and, and those kinds of things. And I had never seen that before. Right. And I was like, wow. You know, I looked at those kids in third or fourth grade and I said, right now, these kids want to be everything in the world. They have yep. such lofty expectations of themselves. It. But then by the time these same third or, <coughs> third or fourth graders get to sixth grade, all of that is done. So Yeah. You know, that's done. They're not even thinking of, you know, I had students that had never even been outside of their community, nevertheless, outside of Florence or outside of the state. Mm -hmm. And so being there, although I was only there for six months and then I moved to Columbia, being there for that period of time changed my perspective. Let me tell you something else that changed my perspective Uh as an African-American woman. okay, I had a PhD, had never really applied for a job. People would always seek me out Mm because, you know, God gave me certain abilities and, he put me in places and things just came. And so he sat me down for 11 months and mm-hmm. I couldn't get a job. I couldn't get a call back. I couldn't get anything. Mm-hmm. And then I started realizing when I have the six figure job, I have six figure bills. And yep. here I am riding around thinking that people who are in these certain communities or in certain situations are because they want to be. Until I had to sit and think, wow, I don't know how I'm going to feed my son next week mm-hmm. and I'm going to have to cut back even more so we might have to move to a place that I don't particularly want to move to because it's cheaper and we can afford that and yet, but guess what then he's going to have to be put in a different school cuz what happens with the school system is they zone the schools so that you know majority group students are able to go to better schools Right. And Mm -hmm. students whose parents don't have those, you know, great finances or what have you, they're just in a school. As I toured around South Carolina Mm -hmm. um, when I was working in assessment, I would go from one side of Columbia to the other. And I would see over here, there's a school that has three, four computers in every classroom. Mm -hmm. They have Mm -hmm. bright open classrooms with windows and Mm -hmm. you know, all of this stuff. I go down the road to the other side of Columbia. And the doors on the classrooms are so low. I'm only five six, and I'm about to butt my head. It's so yeah. dark in the building. Mm-hmm. Um, there's one main computer <clears throat> in the office that is up every now and again. Right. And I looked around, and I was like, if I had to work in here and go to school here, I'd be depressed all the time. Right. But then, but then they had to meet the same, the same. They had the same expectations for those students as they had for students who had better opportunities for education.
1: Right. And, and I mm-hmm. couldn't figure it out.
0: And they were like, well, it's based on your area, your tax base, and this. And I'm going, so why mm-hmm. not just put all the money in a, pocket, in a bucket in a state and split it equally?
1: That's too much like, right.
0: But it was because people would complain about, well, I need my property taxes to go to my child's school or schools in this area. Never <clears> mind those <throat> other people. Right. But because we've gotten this selfish mentality. So for me, when I look at it, I'm going, wow, this is so much different than... Than the schools that I grew up in. This is the mentality so much different. We think schools and school administrations are supposed to be helping our kids and helping Uh, our families, and it seems like they're fighting against.
1: They all are not created equal. Right. So when you look at that, you look at, you try to figure out okay, what can I do to help? What can I do? What can I use my platform to do to help other people? Cause I'm a helper, and I want to show people that you can make it out of there. Right. I mean, is what I've always said, and what my parents have always said, and my what I grew up is that you try to just help one person at a time, mm-hmm. and just at the end of the day, you sleep well saying I did help somebody, right. and you just try, and you just keep it going that way. Because if you try to do too many, too much, it can mm-hmm. be daunt. It's a daunting task, Correct. and so at least you can say, hey, I helped this person do this, or I helped this person mm-hmm. do this. Then y- you can find some solace in the fact that you did that.
0: Right. Right. I want to lead into talking about your new organization. We are One Rising, and I love the name of that. We are One (laughs) Rising. And I think that I I like that name because I think that every time you say it, it reminds you that we are one and we are all trying to rise. Let's talk a little bit about that. Tell me a little bit about your organization.
1: What's funny about that. So about. Uh, last year in March, it really started with like four guys just having Zoom calls every Thursday at two o'clock, I mean at one o'clock, you know, with the pandemic and how do we, you know, brothers lift each other up, what's going on in your family lives, how are you doing personally, stuff like that. Right. So after, after a while with the connections that I have and some of the other brothers have, so Melvin in Miami and Will Downing, the, you know, the singer and Mike Phillips, the saxophonist, we just all had connections. We worked together on many different projects. And so we said, you know what? How can we bring this together for support for a company and a business to where we are focusing on how we help people mm-hmm. and getting information out? And so that's what we started. And so the goal is to help disseminate information and to be a provider of, of information to people who need it. So Mm -hmm. for instance, like, you know, in this pandemic, musicians aren't, aren't, aren't gigging anywhere. Right. They're not performing. So, you know, try to figure out ways to come up with events that are virtual, that Mm -hmm. performers can perform. Right. And to monetize that opportunity because they have talent. Right. And so what we do is we monetize those opportunities. We did this with ARP called an Improvisation Conversation, where we talked about the pandemic and talked about COVID and talked about mm-hmm. health and things that are affecting. And then we monetize that. And in return, we take those funds and try to figure out a way to sponsor a, a program or a child or things of that sort. But also mm-hmm. with our celebrity connections that we have, they're always looking to find ways to fund opportunities and so we help them find ways to fund their opportunities
0: you can can turn them our way (laughs) they can can come over here and find stuff.
1: and so that's kind of how that started and so you know uh, so we do with that so we come up with different concepts Mm -hmm. and ideas of how to help you know our our artists that we know who are in need but also at the same time how to help the public is in need as well so Mm -hmm. um and so it's been fun it's been a lot of fun so far and uh, we're pitching different businesses about how to sponsor us and things that we can do to help them. And so it's been really, it's been really, really good. A lot of fun. It's taken off very fast. So we're excited about it.
0: So what what's your favorite project thus far? I know you didn't start this very long ago, but like you said, right. it's taken off quickly. So what's, what's the, the, your favorite thing that, that you guys have been able to do so far?
1: Well, personally or just for the company itself?
0: Oh, personally.
1: Oh, I think for me, it's been a lot of projects, but I think the, the project that I'm most satisfied with, the one we just did, I just did with the Boys and Girls Club, where we created right. a, the, the studio, studio mm-hmm, where we were able to put musical instruments in the, in the studio. We mm-hmm. put a recording sound booth in the studio. Uh, we put keyboards in there. And I think for me to develop that and create that, to see those kids' faces,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you got to think about it. I mean, a child wants to be able to play guitar. Right. In our community, in some cases, they, the parent may not be able to afford to buy a, 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 a guitar. Mm-hmm. So to have a guitar that they can go in and use every day, right. lessons they they can get, um, record themselves, and and because there are a lot of talented people,
0: absolutely.
1: And one thing about this pandemic has done it is put a damper on the arts mm-hmm. and people's creativity. And right. I hate and I hate that. Yeah,
0: I hate it
1: too. I hate that. I saw
0: that. A Hamilton show up on Disney Plus. I was disturbed.
1: Yes, and so trying to find ways to because every kid is not an academic.
0: Correct.
1: I mean, you know, I think you know I have a problem with we. You know, we took the trade out of schools, the oh, vocation out of God. schools. You know, we took a lot of these things out of schools that right. was a lifeline for mm-hmm. people who may not be the great academic, but you put them and say they can do this and that. Mm-hmm. You know, on a vocation or the art side, you right. know, you you got something. And so for exactly. me being a child of the arts, that's been one of my fa- most favorite opportunities. But then I think, wow, before that was I got, I was able to get a, a celebrity to donate 50000 to a school wow. that they didn't know. And so, I mean, so I think for me, it's like being able to provide those opportunities for artists to do things that can help people. And so, you know, doing these concerts and stuff like that. So sure. that's a lot of things that I like to do, I've done, but I think But that's probably one of my favorite.
0: That's awesome. I mean, as I'm sitting here, I'm like, wow, in the pandemic, maybe you can set up celebrities to to drop in on a Zoom periodically while they're in the studio.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, Let's Mm -hmm. give
0: them the opportunity to ask a question. Mm -hmm. You know, those kinds of things. I think those things would be beneficial to both parties.
1: Yeah, definitely. That's Um, It's it's a lot of, you know,
0: philanthropy doesn't always have to be about money.
1: No, it 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 doesn't be
0: about service.
1: You you are correct. It can be about service, and I think that's what we got to get people back into about providing service as well. Because like a lot of times, I don't necessarily have money that I can that I can find and give. But Mm -hmm. but if it's but if it's a connection where I can get somebody to do something for me, whatever, um, then that's kind of you know what I do. And then people trust me. I have a trust in the industry. They know I'm not about about my business. I'm not going to bring them anything where they're trying to look for money and stuff like that. I think that's the most important thing. So.
0: I think that's pretty awesome. Um, I know with with my nonprofit, we work for children. Mm -hmm. Like I literally spent all of 2020 seeking out board members that were actually ready to roll up their sleeves and do work and actually contribute to the purpose of the organization. Because what I've read is that so many nonprofits get started and. You know, their board is a group of their friends or, you know, maybe people that have big names but aren't really contributing to the organization or things like that. And I was just I was just scared. This is my baby. I was just like, I don't I don't want that. I've been saying we work for children for a long time and I came up with it out of the need to explain to the programmers and data Mm -hmm. analysts and evaluators that Mm -hmm. uh, reported to me that. They, too, worked for children and that what they did impacted children and teachers in classrooms because they right. just didn't understand it. So that message I started sending then and I just I just held on to it ever since. And it's been hmm. a very long time um, to the mm-hmm. point where they actually painted it on the glass windows in front of my office while I was oh, away. Nice.
1: <laughs> nice.
0: So so that that's my thing. It's been on my heart for a long time. God placed a map on my on my heart uh, one day in January 2020. And I've been like, I'm working toward this. It's not about me. Um, Because another fear I had was that I'm aware that you can start a nonprofit, but your board can definitely kick you off. And I was so scared. I was like, yeah, but it's my baby. And I poured everything into it. I don't want anybody. And I was just like, you know what? But at the end of the day, this is not about me. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm just, you know, following what I believe God put on my heart. It's not about me. It's about who I can help who we can help because right. there's not one right. of us smarter than all of us put together and, and getting it done. So I definitely like where you guys are going with this organization. I love that it focuses on the arts because yeah. we do have a lot of children with a lot of different capabilities and abilities mm-hmm. and, and they never even seek it out because, you know, they got to get that nine to five.
1: Well, you think, I mean, you think about it, like, you know, growing up, you know, not every parent or family has an opportunity to be able to explore what their kids like right. because it comes with a financial situation, exactly. right? Mm-hmm. And so when you look at it, I'm, I, I, I am blessed to to be able to be – I had an opportunity to be able to explore – Baseball, basketball, football. And I played all of those sports. Mm-hmm. Then when it got to, I mean, my dad, I mean, I was in in every single thing you could imagine. But mm-hmm. as a kid, but my parents also sponsored other kids to do things too. Correct. So it wasn't just me. So I got mm-hmm. to see that. And so I think, when you and then my grandfather helped start the boys club in Florence too. So when you look at all of that, mm-hmm. you know, you look at, okay, giving people an opportunity to explore themselves. Right. And so when it came time for the arts for me and I started playing saxophone, I mean I was in theater, those mm-hmm. things so, I soared. I loved all of those things. Right. So you know now it's just it's just like, you know, it gives kids an outlet who are shy and mm-hmm. who want to do things and you gotta work hard. People don't understand that. But mm-hmm. I mean I think for me it's like, you know, um, learning it's important to do things that are not the norm. They always figure that. Oh, okay, he gonna run track, play baseball, right. play basketball, <laughs> or run football. But right. when they, but when you have, but when, so, but when you sit down and have a conversation and say, okay, I can talk to you about Johann Sebastian Bach. I can mm-hmm. talk to you about Vivaldi. I can talk oh, to you yeah, about Tchaikovsky. I can, t- you know, I can talk to you about. You know, I mean, one of my favorite pieces is uh, Mussorgsky's, you know, Pictures of Exhibition. Mm -hmm. I played that for my, you know, for my recital. So when you start talking about things, it immediately changes the conversation. Right. Because then people have to look at you differently. They can't typecast you. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, when you're reading books, and I think that's what's important, that learning those things that forces a conversation to let people know that, no, I'm not your average Joe. Mm -hmm. Or or you have a Joanna. I'm 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 <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely you know well rounded, and I think that um, so for me with the arts, I mean, as I go- started you know exploring and, and excelling, you know there were more people that looked like me, right? A- and so I had to learn how to to maneuver being the only person, sometimes the only person of color in the room, mm-hmm. and what and what did you do? And and thankfully the opportunities I've had from the teachers at home and my dad and other people, I was able to use that into a situation where, you know, you were able to break barriers and Mm -hmm. say, okay, no, I'm I'm just as good as you. I can play. The only thing on the music that's colorful is 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 the is the notes. The sheet (laughs) the sheet is white and Mm -hmm. the notes are black. But when you bring but we bring it together, it it brings it brings the life, is it's unity. You can't tell color, you know, music has no color.
0: Right. They try to place color on that as well. Oh, but. of course,
1: of course, of course. But we also know that they can't, that they need, they try so busy, you know, in this in this world, they try to say, we don't want hip-hop. We don't R and B. But guess what? You turn on every you turn on every commercial now. What do you hear? Hip hop and R and B. Because they realize that that's the best way to get to people because all of a sudden it's the it's the it's the quota that they wanted to make sure they get the people through because they weren't getting through before.
0: Correct. This has been a fantastic conversation. Um, Anyone that knows me knows I could keep talking forever. (laughs) um, You know, I do realize that you will need to go shortly and respect your time. However, I do want, like, I believe in what you guys are doing with Uh We Are One Rising. Uh And so if anybody is listening and they know of a company, they know of uh, a program, (coughs) they know anything that could... Uh, continue to promote your efforts. How would they reach out to you?
1: um They can go to weareonerising dot com. Mm-hmm. So that's w e a r e one o n e rising r i s i n g dot com, mm-hmm. and there is an info that you can just click on and send us an email, okay. and that will be and we'll get back to you right I mean, right away.
0: Okay, sounds good. Well, Eugene, or should I say, Mr. Brooks?
1: Eugene is fine. It <laughs> sounds
0: really weird to me, Mr. Brooks. There's a right, right. Mr. Brooks
1: exactly. That's life. why I, That's why I say Eugene is perfectly fine. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, yeah. Great, great conversation. Uh, maybe we could do it again sometime. Sure. Um, I, I pray that everything continues to go well and right in your world and everything... God continues to bless you for your efforts in helping our community and helping our children and their families and not giving up and being you, willing man. to have these candid conversations.
1: Anytime. Anytime. Right.
0: Thank, you thank you for you. coming.
1: Eugene. No, thank no, thank you for having me. It's been it's been a lot of fun.
0: Thank you for listening, and that is it for the argument.